some of you here in this room have been following uh, Christ for a very long time. Some of you, I'm not going to point at anybody, some of you have uh, been you know, relatively new followers of Christ. And I would guess that some, there could be some people here that are not following Christ at all. Or you're unsure of what it means to be a Christ follower. But no matter where you are in your journey, you must realize that if you are a Christian, if you are somebody that you would say, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Christ, then you need to realize that God can use you to expand His kingdom through personal evangelism. If you are willing. If you are willing, God can use you. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, your whole life, since you were a kid. It doesn't matter how old you are. If you are willing, God can use you to expand His kingdom through the means of what we call personal evangelism. And I know just the idea of that might make some of you tremble. It might make some of you a little fearful. You know, the cold sweat starting to come. But you might even say I, you have a lot of excuses. You might think of a lot of excuses why you might think that I am wrong. But the purpose of this message today is to encourage you, to encourage you to enter into the joy of the Lord by accepting Jesus' invitation to participate in the spiritual harvest by pointing to Him as the Savior of the world. Pointing to Him as the Savior of the world. And there's joy in sharing the gospel with other people. If you have been born again, if you have new life in Christ, then you, there's no reason why you can't share the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. In fact, you're commanded by Scripture to do that. To always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. If you, if you have hope in Christ, why? Why do you have hope in Christ? So, You've probably decided to follow Christ. Well, you can share that with somebody else. As we look at this passage that Ben just read here, I want to start by talking about three lame excuses that we might have for why we can't share the gospel with somebody else. Three lame excuses why we can't do evangelism, but then four strong encouragements why you can or why, why you should be able to do that. And as, I, as we begin this, I want to make something very clear and that is that I, the point of today's message is not to make you feel beaten up when you leave here. It's not to make you feel like all depressed and like you can't do it and like all I did was like punch you in the face or something like that. No, you might feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, okay? And if that's the Holy Spirit in you, that's not me, okay? But my goal is not to say you're doing everything wrong because I don't want you to feel discouraged. In fact, the goal of every time we gather together is for you to be encouraged in the Lord. So that's where, that's where I wanted to let that know that I said I'm going to give you three lame excuses that you might have for why I'm not talking to you, right? Or that's not me. But then four, one more, right? Four strong encouragements why this is you. This is you, okay? And the setting for our scene here is the well, like a water well, about three quarters of a mile outside of a Samaritan village called Sakar. It was a well that was ancient. It was dug by Jacob. And it still exists today, but that doesn't really matter for our story. The well was a place where people would go outside of town to get their water. And Jesus had been traveling from the southern region of Judea, Judea, Judah to the northern region of Galilee, and he was going through Samaria, and he stopped there to get a drink of water. He was tired, he was thirsty from his journey, so he sat down by the well, and he sent his disciples into town to get some food, which gave him a chance to talk to a woman from Samaria, a Samaritan woman. And the theme of their conversation was that he had with her was that he, she needed living water 
and he was going to give her living water. And she thought he meant water from the well, but like spring water. And he's like, no, not spring water, not mountain water, not avian water. I'm talking living water. That's what I wanted to offer you because she had this emptiness in her soul and that she was trying to fill. You know, we all try to do the same thing with, with food or alcohol or work or sex or shopping. And this lady had gone through relationship after relationship, five different husbands, and then just started living with a guy. She, she was trying to satisfy that quench of her soul, and she was going to all these different relationships. And Jesus basically said, stop what you're doing. You need living water. Because what you're doing is trying to like drink salt water, and it's just leaving you more thirsty, and it's going to lead to death. So he offered her living water. And the good news is that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah who came to save us. And that's what the lady realized in verse 26 when Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. So that's the message that every Christian can share with an unbeliever at any time that Jesus offers living water that will quench the thirst that you know you're looking for and you're not getting satisfaction from any other place. So when we look at the text here right away, we can see the first excuse for not sharing our faith is that we tell ourselves that other people wouldn't be interested. Ah, oh, they wouldn't be interested in, in anything that I'd have to say. The disciples, they return from their shopping trip in town. And when they return to the well, they are shocked to see Jesus talking with a woman. And they wonder to themselves why Jesus would waste time talking with any woman, much less this woman. I mean, they could understand why Jesus talked with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He was a religious leader. He was somebody of prominence and importance. This lady, she was nothing. Why would he talk? I mean, you really didn't talk to any women, but, but this woman, I mean, no thank you. And it's funny that everyone was thinking this, but no one had the guts to bring it up. They didn't ask her, what do you want? And they didn't ask him, why are you talking with her? I'm sure that's how they would say it too. Why are you talking with her? And she could tell that when they showed up, the situation had changed. I mean, she could feel the cold shoulders from them because she left when they came. They came, saw her, so she's like, okay, my time here is done. She leaves her water pitcher by the well, and she leaves and goes back into town. And we learn from Jesus' conversation here that we shouldn't think that someone would not be interested in spiritual matters. Often... It's the person who is overlooked that might be the person that you need to talk to. It's the person that you think that, that or, well, you know that nobody's talking with this person. That's why she was there by herself, avoiding people. And so don't be afraid to break the ice and give it a try of talking to somebody. Maybe somebody that everybody else is overlooking. And so this lady runs back into town and she kind of exaggerates. She goes back into town. She tells everybody, come see the man who tells me, who told me everything that I've ever done. And I can forgive her for exaggerating a little because she's excited. I do the same thing sometimes. So she goes in. She says, he told me everything. You should got you to come see him. You got to come see him. You got to come to the well. And so they're like kind of interested. She's saying, come and see, come and see. And they, and they did. They came out, which is just, Interesting to think about, the disciples, they went into town and they came out with food. She goes into town and she comes back with lost people that need to meet Jesus. So the first lame excuse we make in order to avoid sharing our faith is that we tell ourselves that somebody else, they're not interested. Like she could have said the same thing when she went into town, but she just said, come and see. So let's not make that excuse. The second excuse is that 
We think we've got better, more important things to do. Look at verses 31 and 32 here. So people are coming out now, and the disciples urge Jesus, saying, Rabbi, which means teacher, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the lady is gone. The disciples brought food. They said it's time to eat, but people are coming out now. And Jesus uses this, this situation to teach an important lesson about priorities. Honestly, he's being a little confusing. He says that he has food that they don't know about. So if I was one of the disciples, I would probably respond in the same way. What food? Where did you get food? We were going to get food. Did the lady bring a Lunchable? Did you have Uber Eats delivered? Like, where did you get the food from? Like, he's very confusing. So Jesus clarifies in verse 34. My food, he says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work or to finish his work. So Jesus is so absorbed in the situation at hand, the matter at hand, that he says, let's skip lunch. All right, forget about lunch. Let's focus on right here. Don't get distracted by something else. He's demonstrating here the urgency of the gospel message. It's not something that we get to get around to if we feel like it. It should be something that's as important as eating. And it's so easy for us to be like the disciples to say, you know what? Let me finish what I'm doing here first. I've got work to do. I've got people to feed. I've got to clean up. I've got a long to-do list. Let's take care of all this before we get around to spiritual matters. John Calvin, he commented on this passage. He wrote, by his example, Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God should have priority over all bodily comforts. Jesus' food was to accomplish the work that God gave him to do. And that work was to advance God's kingdom, to restore souls to life, to spread the light of the gospel, to bring salvation to the nations. It reminds us of Jesus' temptation by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, after he had fasted for 40 days and the devil showed up and said, I bet you're hungry, aren't you? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, that says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that statement that Jesus quoted was given to Moses for the people as a way of explaining why God sent manna every day from heaven to feed his people. God gave them food, manna he called it, from heaven in order to teach them to depend on him every single day for their daily sustenance. So there's a relationship, a daily relationship about us depending on God, something that's as important to us as food. So when we practice the spiritual discipline of fasting, we go without eating to remind us that we are depending on God. Fasting is not just a way to try to lose weight. It's a, it's a means by which we can draw closer to God because we give up food and we remind, it's a reminder to ourselves that we are depending on God. And we can use that extra time. Actually, the Bible says, use the money you save to give to the poor. It says use that time to um, spend that time in prayer that you would normally spend in preparing, eating, and cleaning up. And Jesus, um, he, he reminds us here that his will is to do the work that God called him to do. And I think it's funny to the disciples they brought out the food, right? And they were getting ready to have lunch. And Jesus says, no, 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 put that away. We're not going to have lunch. I mean, I wonder if some of them were like, what? No lunch. But there was work to do. And their teacher said, no, we got work to do. So put it away. It reminds me of a time when I was forced into fasting. I was on a mission trip when I was in college. Uh, I don't know if you will have a chance to do mission trips, David, but it's a great opportunity, time of life. And I went to Haiti with a group of students and we, we had this base 
um, right outside of Port-au-Prince, and then we would get on a bus every day, and we'd travel to a remote village, and we would distribute medicine, because there were doctors leading the trip, and we would talk to the people, and we would do like a medical clinic. Well, one day, after like a two-hour bus ride, and a, like a, a, an hour and a half hike up a mountain to a remote village, and we started working and setting up the clinic. People had been waiting since early in the morning to see uh, the missionaries, the doctors, the dentists, and we realized we forgot our lunches. We left our lunches in the bus. And so we were like, well, we're not breaking for lunch, right? We're going to keep working. And I remember thinking, like, here I am in the midst of people who might not have enough food to eat. And, like, we accidentally were forced into that situation. You know what I mean? And they probably go through that every day. And, like, it just struck me so much of, like, how, like, important food is. And then how when you fast from food, how you can use that time to serve other people. Well, Jesus reminded, he forced the disciples, we're fasting for lunch today because we got people here. And they're eager to hear about spiritual matters. And so we're going to do the will. And Jesus said, my will is to do the Father's will. You know, some people think that if they had their own way, they're going to be really happy. If I had my way, my will be done, then, you know, I'm going to be completely satisfied in life. But that's not true. That's a mirage. You're never going to be truly satisfied when you get your own way. Jesus shows us that when we give up our will, when we give up our desires for comfort, when we give up our own idea of safety, we give up those things that we think will make us happy, that is when we truly find life. When we give up our life, we find our life in Christ. True life. So don't get too comfortable. I mean, that's not what the Christian life is all about. It's not about your comfort. It's about the Father's will for your life. And so the first excuse is, don't, like I said, don't be thinking that somebody might not be interested in the conversation. The second excuse is that we, don't, we sometimes tell ourselves that we're too busy. But Jesus shows us that serving God is more important than our own desires. And the third excuse we make is that we tell ourselves that, you know, now is just not a good time. You know, now is just not a good time. Look in verse 35. Jesus asked his disciples this pointed question, this proverb. He said, don't you say four more months and then the harvest comes. Don't you guys say that thing? Everybody knows what that saying is. You know what it means. If you're getting ready to plant a garden or plant flowers this spring, you know it's going to take time for tomatoes to grow. You know what's going to happen, right? It takes time for growth. And Jesus said, you know, you know the saying that it, you plant in the spring, you harvest in the fall. And sometimes it is true. That is true spiritually speaking as well. So again, don't give up. There are people that you might share the gospel with over and over and over again. There are people that you might pray for their salvation for years. But we don't always just keep putting things off and putting things off whenever we know that God might open the door to a conversation or you might not know that. You might realize that okay, now's the time to broach this subject. Sometimes you know that it takes time, but we don't put things off just because we know that there's always a later time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so if you don't know Christ, I would encourage you to come to Him today. Don't believe the lie. I can do it tomorrow. I can do it next week. I can do it next year. I can do it at the end of my life. You don't know how many more days you have. So come to the Lord today. Open your eyes, Jesus says. He tells his disciples, open your eyes. Man, look, 
The Samaritans, they're coming. What are you waiting for? The time is now. So Jesus is driving home the urgency of the gospel to his disciples. Don't wait for a better time. Today could be a great day in sharing the gospel. Charles Spurgeon, preaching on this passage, he, he challenged his congregations. And this, is so, this was like a hundred and some years ago. This, I, I swear this could be written for today. He said, some of you good people who do nothing except go to public meetings, the Bible readings, the prophetic conferences, and the other forms of spiritual indulgences would be a better, you would be a good deal better Christian if you would look after the poor and needy around you. If you would just tuck up your sleeves for work and go and tell the gospel to dying men, you would find your spiritual health mightily restored. For very much of the sickness of Christians comes through their having nothing to do. All feeding and no working makes men have spiritual indigestion. Be idle, careless, with nothing to live for, nothing to care for, no sinner to pray for, no backslider to lead back to the cross, no trembler to encourage, no little child to tell of a Savior, no gray-haired man to enlighten the things of God, no object, in fact, to live for. And who wonders if you begin to groan and to murmur and to look within until you are ready to die of despair? Man, that is an awesome statement, isn't it? It's like we just sit around and we think, like, I need this, I need that, I need that conference, I need that podcast, I need to read this book. When our encouragement from the Lord is to get busy. Otherwise, you will suffer from spiritual indigestion, he says. Because there is spiritual sustenance in serving Christ. In serving the Lord. You know, if you sense that something is not right in your life, even if you're you know, looking at the Word and having regular prayer, Maybe you should be involved in his work. The Lord said that, Jesus said, my will is to do the work of the one who sent me, to finish that work, because you were created for that purpose. And our Lord shows us that his sustenance comes from God's will and God's work. So those are the three lame excuses. One, that we tell ourselves, that one, that nobody's going to be interested. Number two, I've got more important things to do. And number three, it's just not a good time. So let's look at those four strong encouragements that I talked about. First of all, we see what Jesus says. It comes from the third excuse. Jesus says, the time is now. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Whenever a crop is ready to be harvested, back where I'm from in the state of Indiana, there's a lot of corn and beans. And when they're in the field, they look green in the summer. In the fall, they turn brown because they... Uh, dry out. And that's when you know it's time for harvest is when the fields are now brown. I guess the crop that they had in that, that time would turn white when it was ready for harvest. When it was, so you could look at a field and know if it's ready or not ready without even really getting close to it. And people say that when they were coming out of the village that they had on white clothes and they kind of looked like a moving field coming toward them. So Jesus says, look, the fields are ripe for harvest. They're ready to be harvested. And what Jesus says next in verse 36 to 38, it's a reference to his ministry overlapping with John the witness or John the Baptist who came before and prepared the way for him. Jesus is the one who reaps the fruit for eternal life, the souls of the people. And John was the sower. And it says in verse 36 that they rejoice together. So in this little illustration that he gives here, it's an illustration of the sowing from the Old Testament prophets is now coming to fruition with Jesus and the disciples. And in fact, this is from the prophet Amos. In Amos chapter 9, verse 13, 
It says, uh, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And so when we look at time, we look at time as being like the age before Christ and now the age that we're in now, which is the age of Christ's resurrection and ascension. So this is what we call the messianic age, like the age of the Messiah, or this is the church age. I believe this is can also be called the last days. Jesus talked about we are living in the last days because the Old Testament prophets prepared the way, including John the Baptist, and he was preparing the way, he was getting things ready, and now Jesus says, now is the time. This is the time for the harvest. And then in Amos it says there's going to be a time where the plowman is going to overtake the reaper so that the reaping and the plowing are going to take place at the same time. And then Jesus even uses this illustration when he talks about at the very end of time, whenever there's going to be a harvest of the souls, right? There's going to be when he's going to do a separation between the wheat and the tares. So he used that same analogy, but like now we're living in this time where the kingdom has come with Jesus but it's not yet to full fruition yet, and it's, it's on its way. So we get to take part in the harvest that Jesus is talking about. Others have labored, he says in verse 38, and you get to join in with the harvest. The hard work is done. Jesus has already done the hard work. Jesus broke open the pinata, and we get to collect all the candy. And we get to tell people, come on, collect the candy with me. Because we don't have to do the work. He already did it. We get to spread the good news. In fact, we can pray to the Lord of the harvest, it says in Luke 10 too. He says, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field. And so you don't have to do the work. The work has already been done. You get to join in in the work of our Father in heaven. And each of us has a role to play. That's our second encouragement is that we each have a role to play in the harvest. Everyone is important. Everyone here who's a member of this church, you are important. You have a role to play in the body. You have a role to play in evangelism. You know, the church in Corinth, they had issues and divisions and disagreements and arguments about who was better, a teacher, and who was a better follower of the better teacher. And Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4. He says, one person says, I follow Paul, and another person, I follow Apollos. Aren't they both merely human? And verse 5 to 9, it says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So one person plants, another person harvests, but God is the one who gives the growth. So maybe you are called to spread the message. Maybe you are called to pray for salvation. Maybe you are called to pray with a person to lead them in uh, salvation. There is joy in all of that. Join in the labor. Join in the celebration of what God is doing. You know, the third encouragement I give to you is that testimony is good, but God's word trumps our words. Our personal testimony is great, okay? But it says in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony or the woman's word. Actually, the Greek word is logos, which means word. And she had said to them, he told me everything that I ever did. So the change was evident in her life. She was telling people about Jesus 
Everybody either knew about her past or she told her about her past. And I think it's great to tell your story to somebody because somebody might say, oh man, I can relate to what you're telling me. I, I, I totally get what you're saying. When I was um, you know, a youth pastor, when I, when I was a kid in church, people always like, talked about their testimony. They gave their testimony. And when I, and I became a youth pastor, and I told kids, like, this is your testimony. It's like your life before Christ, how you met Christ, and your life after Christ. And then, you know, people would talk about sharing their testimony. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. The, the, remember, the woman went into town and gave her testimony and told people to come and see. But we must remember this, that a testimony is a story about me. The gospel is a story about Jesus. So there's a difference between sharing your testimony and sharing the gospel. No one has ever gotten saved because of my story. You can only be saved because of Jesus' story. And many people um, heard the woman's testimony, but then it says in verse 40 that they asked Jesus to stay two more days. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said, in other your word, that we believe, for we have heard from ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the, of the world. So many believe, it says in verse 4, because of his word, his logos, the word that he spoke, his testimony. So we may think we have smooth words or convincing arguments, but again, God's word trumps man's word every day of the week. So be encouraged. This is the last thing. Be encouraged, church, because Jesus is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of the world. You know, talking about evangelism, again, it reminds me of, of Paul's experience in Corinth. He went into the... In Corinth, what happened was the, the early Christian population of that city grew because they were expelled from Rome. They had problems with the Roman leaders. The Roman leaders expelled a lot of the Christians and they found themselves in Corinth. And Paul faced some difficulties there a little bit of success, but also some major obstacles. And one night in a vision, God said to him, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. God has many people in this city, in your neighborhood, who are his people. His people. So we must pray and preach the gospel to His people so they will be saved. So, when the gospel is clearly explained and faithfully shared, what do we see is that men and women will come to Christ. And that is the beauty of the gospel. It is God's good news. And God does a great work in the heart of rebels, causing them to turn away from their self-worship and turn to Him in true worship. That title, Savior of the World, you know, it was primarily in ancient literature was used for Roman leaders like the Caesars. They would take upon themselves in a big proclamation, a big decree that they are the Savior of the world. Well, the Samaritans were the first people to use that for Jesus because He is the true Savior. He is the true hero. He is the one who works in us and He is the one who works through us to help us join Him in the spiritual harvest. So let's join Him in that work. Let us rejoice in the Lord for our own good and our own joy and for His glory.